this week on the Sport Blokes. This week, it's been a bloody long time since we recorded, so there's a ton of stuff to go over. AFL, the Cricket World Cup, the NBL and NBA season, and my daughter getting on the Kabaddi train. <laughs> I tell many, many really bad puns too. Kabaddi. Let's go. It's 5.06 on Sunday, the 15th of October, 2023. We've spent a lot of time together lately, Stewie, haven't we? But not in front of microphones. So there's been plenty of sporter under the bridge, as oh, it were. Dear <laughs> Clearly didn't improve my puns since we last recorded. Uh, so yeah, so a normal, a normal episode, for lack of a better word. The Pies did what they seem to do all season. That is just enough in eking out a grand final win in the AFL over Brisbane. Speaking of which, wasn't that great a weekend for Queensland after they lost the rugby too? Yeah, a game that we kind of we don't yeah half watched through the window of a hotel in Sydney somewhere. Oh, that's right, we did too. Yeah, yeah, well, I did. Kind of a little, yeah, yeah, not much. Just munching on chips. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't really tell who's got the ball, but go rugby. Rafa's days as a professional tennis player aren't over yet. The WNBA finals rage on. It looks like Eddie's returning to Japan after a disastrous campaign at the helm of the Wallabies. Turns out the rumours of Jonathan Taylor's demise at the Colts were greatly exaggerated. And Jake's gone Fraser berserk in the Marsh Cup in what will pretend is the biggest news in world cricket. But first of all, Will and Jada have been separated for seven years? What? Yeah. Did you hear that news? She's crazy. So what the hell with the slap then? Seven years. Anyway, how are you, mate? What do you got for us? Oh, just pissed off right now. Yes. Wildcats are terrible. The sun's come back out. I'm not a summer person at all. I'm not enjoying these 33-degree days, quite frankly. But, uh, Plenty more where that came from. Unfortunately, there is. But that's all right. Well, yeah, the Wildcats, not so much. No. We'll get there when we talk basketball. Yes. How about yourself? You all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Excellent. I thought for once I might have an early night tonight and then I saw the Colts for the early game. I'm like, oh, no, yeah, I'll be up till 3, 3.30. But, you know, you've got to be done. It does. Yeah. It does. So, Nathan, you can get us started with the whatever the hell you call the start of a marathon. Uh, yeah. O- opening shot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, great times at the Chicago Marathon. Not only did Kevin Kipton break the bloke's world record with a time of 2 hours and 35 seconds, Sifan Hassan won the second fastest time in women's history. Yeah. You got some stuff there too, I believe. Oh, look, I, I just thought it was very interesting. I mean, a couple of things. Firstly, the guy's 23 years old, so there's every possibility that he breaks the two-hour mark, which is just its one of these numbers that seemed inconceivable probably 15 years ago. Oh, the pace is just incredible, it right? It is. Can you imagine running 500 metres at that pace? Oh, God. Fast. Not these days. Absolutely not. No. Well, not before either, but uh, yeah, yeah, never. <laughs> The other thing I found quite interesting was looking at the progression over the years of the world record time. And it's very interesting reading and not so much for the actual times themselves, because they've kind of gone from, you know, 2.15 to 2.10, and so on. But it was just more, there were several of the records that I thought were, were kind of interesting. So the first 10 world records were on distances shorter than the standard 26 miles. Wow. So not technically yeah, one of those ones. How many involved buses and... Uh... People. Uh, well, I'm sure a lot of them do. The, the ones in Mexico City certainly do. But the very first one was actually by a guy named Durando Pietri at the 1908 Olympics. He was so dehydrated at the end that he fell down five times inside the stadium. When you're thirsty like the wolf, Durando Durando. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's terrible. The, look, the, the pun the, gun is not firing. A couple of weeks off. Yeah, yeah it's, it's sputtering a bit. That's okay though. The last 350 metres of it actually took him about 10 minutes. 
So he was struggling that badly. Wow. Every single time he fell down, the people basically, the assistants, people that were kind of running, what do you call them? The people that are helping at the race. Volunteers. Uh, yeah. We'll just call them the volunteers. Yeah, they be. were assisting him, helping him up, you know, giving him water, all that sort of stuff. And Well, that kind of legitimizes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I always shut the gun. On top of that, he also took a wrong turn when he entered the arena. And they also told him, they're like, hey, you're going the wrong way. So between all of those different things, the assistance he received from the officials got him disqualified and the record was handed to the second place finisher, Johnny Hayes of America. Oh. So yes, he did indeed get the disqualification that you were just about to... Probably rightly so, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Now in 1935, I believe it's Fusashige Suzuki of Japan broke the record in Tokyo in a race that he actually came in second in. Try and figure that one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other bloke jumped on a bus. Well, look, I couldn't find any reason that... So it's got a guy named Son Ki-chung from Korea. Couldn't find any reason that he would have been disqualified or moved down into second place, but he actually ran a faster time. Yet the guy that came second got the world record. I don't understand that. And another one, which is not quite as crazy, but still pretty crazy anyway. Abibe Bikini, I believe it is. It's something similar sort of name to that anyway. Of... Abibe Bikini, that's what influences yeah. post, isn't it? Like... Oh, it's funny. I reckon my autocorrect has probably changed. <laughs> it's probably changed from the it was probably like Abibe Bacano or something. So I apologize to him. Bikina Fosso, yeah. But he actually broke the record at the Rome Olympics barefoot. So the guy ran Yeah, I, I feel like we've talked about that in this week in we sport back in the day. Probably have, but yeah. it's absolutely nuts, honestly. That is nuts, yeah. I, I could barely drive 26 miles in two hours, honestly, it's, let alone run it. It's a joke. What is that? It's like 42 and a bit Ks. About 42, yeah, yeah. 42.2 or something. Yeah. Crazy. I've got some other football otherwise. So there was a bit of a debacle in the Miami-Georgia Tech college game. Miami led 2017, needing to only kneel twice to win. Instead, they handed it to their running back who promptly fumbled, giving Georgia Tech 26 seconds to go the 74 yards they needed to get the go-ahead score, which, of course, they did. College football is crazy like that, isn't it? That was last weekend. This weekend, Colorado was up by 29 nothing, and they ended up losing in double OT. So well, we it may be a bit choky, I dare say. We yeah. saw a third and 76 the other day in the Packers and Saints game. Well, it was a couple of weeks ago now, but... Third and seven. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, that must be. It was a really bad loss and also a penalty on top of it or something. Yeah, I actually saw, this is funnily enough, another one I think we've spoken about. There was a game between Louisiana Tech and Mississippi State a few years ago. LA Tech had second and goal, botched the snap. They finally recovered on their own seven-yard line. It was still listed technically as third and goal, but it was basically a third and 93. I don't know. <laughs> Take a knee, maybe. <laughs> Well, it's always end goal once you're at that point. Yeah, 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 that's classic. They needed 93 yards. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, the other one I loved from last weekend, obviously the NFL, the round's already kicked off with the uh, Friday game. But the, last weekend, Travis Etienne Jr. had 136 yards and two touchdowns on the ground and then another 48 yards in the air in the Jags' London win over the Bills. The only problem, the bloke he was playing in fantasy had him on their team. Mm. <laughs> so he's playing against himself. <laughs> About them playing fantasy. Yeah, I know. Well, it depends if it's a free competition. Oh, I'm in a free competition, for example. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. And that thought did cross my mind. It, it just kind of feels a little bit close to the mark as far as gambling goes. Anyway. Yeah, no, no. It's, I think that's not unreasonable. Yeah. What have you got? That's all I had. Mate, just one last quick one to round things out. I was at a birthday party a few weeks back, and this obviously we haven't recorded since then. But You're not talking about Woody's. This is before we went across the oh, city. Yeah, okay. so this yeah, was yeah. A, a seventh birthday party, I think, for one of my daughter's friends. Slightly different to what he said. Slightly less yeah, pretty, yeah. yes. Although I bet they still got up and did a rap. 
They no, they, oh, they maybe, maybe. You know that ad with the little girl in the car, like singing along oh, with the yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I'll let you finish. But my daughter, well, my youngest daughter, who is four, was trying to point out a kookaburra, and of all things, she managed to call it a kabaddi. So <laughs> she basically was giving me shit about the fact that I mispronounced that for realistically what nearly yes. nearly a decade. Several, yeah, yeah. 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 So, Thanks, Evelyn. Appreciate mm. you. Kabaddi sits on the old gum tree. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we've had a bit of debate as to which sports to cover in order. As always, check the timestamps and click on the stuff you want to hear. It just feels like each sport is equally important and unimportant at the yeah. same time. Like nothing's yeah. too pressing, but you know, we'll get stuck into the footy, I guess. We'll reach into the recesses of our brain to try and remember what happened because there was a fair bit since we last recorded. Mm. Brownlow Grand Final and Trade Period. Trade Period will probably sit on for a little while. Yeah, there's a couple of things in the Trade Period that I do want to kind of talk about right now because I think it'll probably take a bit of time. Yeah, we'll start off with the Brownlow. I, I guess the obvious question is, what do you reckon? Well, yes, congratulations to Lockie Neal again for winning the uh, Midfielders Award. <laughs> I, I, I Look, I don't remember much, but I know there was a lot of controversy about, you know, blokes getting three votes when they only had 13 touches in a game and all sorts of crazy stuff. Like there was a game where I think, uh, yeah, obviously I... Uh, more likely to remember my team, but there was a game where Joel Amati had three votes and he was subbed off at half time, basically. Yeah, right. So there were some really weird ones. Yeah, yeah, that's really. Ridiculous. That's how much legitimacy do we give it these days? Well, that was the question I was going to pose to you. I like. I feel like the Brownlow personally has lost its meaning. Do you agree? Disagree? Ah. Uh... Probably felt this way for a long time though that it's a midfielder's award and that I mean it's unique. There are cool things about it. The umpires deciding is fairly unique, but are they getting it right? And that's the problem, isn't it? Clearly not. Yeah. So I do actually have a couple of examples. You kind of mentioned the dodgy three votes. The big couple, I guess, that are doing the round. So Lockie Neal getting three votes in a game in round six. He had seven kicks, thirteen hand passes, no goals, only one hundred and fifty-two meters gained. Charlie Cameron kicked seven goals, two in that game. <laughs> Josh yeah, Kelly right. had 41 touches and 618 metres gained. That sort of shows you straight away that the system's a little bit broken. There was the other one, Jason Horn francis got three votes in round 14 against Geelong. He had nine kicks, four hand passes, one mark and 195 metres gained. 24 players had the same or more possessions in that. Well, it's funny you say that, Stu. I've got the same John Ralph tweet that you might have sourced this from. Four ineffective, two clangers, four short kicks, one scrounged kick off the ground that went a metre. Zero impact is what John Ralph says. He reviewed every possession. Mm. So there you go. Three votes. Yeah, apparently. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. But I mean, you can always look at it and go, did he get some votes he didn't deserve? And then as Neil himself put it, there were probably some games where I thought I would poll a bit later through the middle part of the season where I didn't pick up votes or polled one where I thought I might have got two or three that game. So it comes around in swings and roundabouts. But I think we are at the stage now where the Players Association MVP and the Coaches Awards probably yep. mean more. Yep, I think so. And it's really sad because we will probably forever in a day still associate, oh, he's a Brownlow medalist. But, I mean, you kind of mentioned it being a midfielders award. And this is a Sir Swamp Thing tweet. It's the seventh time since 2001 that the Brownlow medalist hasn't even won his own club's best and fairest. Seventh time. Seventh time. So Paris yeah. Andrews took it out for the Brisbane Lions this year. The other two recent ones are probably two Brownlows that I have very strong opinions about. Nat Fife's in 2015 when Aaron Sanderlands beat him out for the best man at Fremantle. And Matt Prittis in 2014 being beaten out by Eric McKenzie. So it's just, I don't know. The, the only positive I think I can take out of this 
is that it did come down to the last vote of the entire evening. So that's yeah, yeah. There was certainly a lot of the drama. Yeah, there was there was drama. I basically just watched the little rounds in review and then hit mute. I think yeah. I was editing at the time. One of our last yeah. couple of episodes, but I just find it less and less interesting every year. I watch it less and less, and it's interesting. And I do like the little rounds in review. That's mm. the bit I like the most. Yeah. It kind of reminds me what happened. And like, oh, yeah, oh, gee, did that only happen in round three? Or... I, I think they got the goal and mark of the year right for once. They did. So that was good. They did. There was no, you know, running too far or yes, no, it... no uh, controversy, yeah, out of yeah. bounds or anything like None that. None of that bullshit. Now that yeah. that stat from Ashcroft, yeah. Yeah, Will Ashcroft. Yeah, yeah. just incredible. Yeah, the, yeah. The one that was like the Daniel Wells, but better. From yeah. the boundary. Yeah, yeah on an angle. Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yep. All right. So we'll move on, obviously, to the grand final. We won't even talk about the prelims. It seems an absolute eternity ago, but arguably one of the best grand finals. Well, probably not even arguably. One of the best grand finals that we've both seen, I would say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Geelong-Richmond one, I think the Swans-Eagles ones were maybe better. Was this the Eagles-Collingwood one maybe better? Probably. But, I mean, it was a great game when it was close, and that was certainly a lot better than last year. That's for damn sure. The reason I'll say this, the thing that I absolutely loved about this game was that the margin never got beyond 13 points. In fact, it only got beyond 10 points twice. Yeah, right. Okay. There was a, a small period right at the start of the game when Bobby Hill kicked second goal of the game, which put Collingwood up by 12. And there was a period, I think it was in the second quarter, where Brisbane went up by 13. The rest of the game was just this real ebb and flow. It just, I don't know, there weren't very many points where you thought the game was gone. And I think I enjoyed that. Just when you got close to thinking a team was on top, the other team would come back. Yeah, real arm wrestle. Yeah. yeah. That's it. So Interesting to watch in Sydney too, wasn't it? Was... Well, it was. And I, and I have <laughs> to say, I, I really have to put this out to anyone in Sydney. Really disappointing to see how little traction that got there just well at the pub we were at had there not been us and a massive group of people from melbourne there would have been no one watching mm. basically so yeah like it was funny like the one guy who came up to us and he's like oh i wish it was the rugby and you're like we well, you picked the wrong table in the pub to come up to we're from wa yeah yeah so look it is what it is we understand that you're a rugby state but sydney new south wales in general you've got to do better well we only went to one pub but uh, I mean, matter. it made it easier for us. We Doesn't didn't matter. have to worry about lines or yeah. This, yeah, that's true. But yeah, no. the atmosphere could have been a bit better. We're extrapolating that one experience across all pubs. Yeah, well, you are. Okay. You speak for yourself. All right, fair enough. Can I can I just push back quickly on the Brownlow a little bit? Uh, thoughts occurred to me with the best and fairest. Best and fairest awards are kind of different to the Brownlow in the sense that generally and not always, but the winning team is going to help you get the votes right. Whereas in a best and fairest, they're giving the votes every single game. And there's more players and it's a club thing. It is quite a different beast. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the Brownlow is more about the games that matter in the sense of the games that you've won. Yeah, so but... I think there is, you can you can draw something from that, but I don't know if you can draw everything from it. Do you I don't know? know if I agree with that, to be yeah. honest. Okay. Oh, fair enough. I just think every game they're voting for the most influential player on the ground. And yeah, okay, you're still going to get votes in losses. So and and I guess that's the main difference is that well that's uh, that's a pretty significant difference though don't it, you think? it is it is but at the same time you'd like to think that someone like Harris Andrews was incredibly influential in the wins just as much as he was in the losses I don't know there's something to be said for someone who is being named by their own team as the the best player for the entire year I don't know I just I think there's got to be some weight to that. It's not always going to be 100% accurate, as we've seen there seven times in the last 22 years, but 
It's just interesting because I guess in previous years, and sorry, I know we're talking about the grand final, but I, this just popped into my head. I'm a bit tipsy. In previous years, we've kind of gone, oh, they're looking at the stat sheet too much. And then we pull out these other examples and they're like, well, they clearly didn't look at the, stat- at the stats. At so all, it's like, they? well, there's like, like, is there a happy medium? Should they be looking at the stat sheet? They probably should. How much credence should they be putting in the stat sheet? You know what I mean? I'm a firm believer in if you, if you want to sort of, I guess, not take it too far away, it should be the commentating team. They're the ones watching the game. Yeah, yeah. These guys are all, well, pretty much all ex-professional players. They understand the flow of the game. They understand what's important in the game. They pick things out of the game that you and I don't see. So if anyone understands what's important and what's causing a team to win, it's them. That's that's my thoughts. Yeah, I guess, I mean, if an umpire can't even know what 15 metres is, then how the fuck can they judge? Exactly. Yeah. If they're giving three votes to a guy who got subbed off at halftime. Of a yeah, game, it's pretty poor. It's like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yes, no, grand final. Back to the grand final. It's, yeah, I think the thing I enjoyed about it was it was one of those games that always felt like it was going to come down to a moment or two of just sheer brilliance. And there were things like, you know, the Dacos mid-air hand pass to Jordan Degoe just after Brisbane had gone back on top to set up that goal from 50. There was obviously the downside as well, the what we think was a fairly dodgy 50-metre penalty to steal side bottom that set up yeah, that goal. Yeah, I wish I saw it again because it's interesting. Talking to people, a lot of people thought it was there and it was just Jared Berry just being undisciplined. I don't know yeah. how much of a fan you are of him. Oh, I love the guy, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think overall, the Pies finished top of the ladder. They won all of their finals. You have to say they were deserved winners, don't you? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they took every punch that was thrown at them, and a lot were. And look, GWS probably should have won. Melbourne probably should have won. Brisbane probably should have won. But coulda, shoulda, woulda. It doesn't matter. The final score is the final score. There was, there was a bit of a funny play on near the end that I thought was a bit dubious. Uh, look, yeah. I did feel like Collingwood got the better end of the umpire, particularly in the third quarter. There was a couple of weird things in the fourth there as well. But yes, they did deserve to win. They played better and Bobby Hill was just fantastic. Bobby it? Hill was sensational. I think they said the first, first yeah, to ever win a Norm Smith without a single Brownlow vote. Speaking of Brownlow, not, yeah. Not that the Brownlow votes are worth anything. Well, he's a, he's a small forward, so the, the opportunity to win votes... Pretty few and far between for that's, small forwards. Yeah. Just quickly going back to that play on though, I did see something on Twitter where they kind of went over the rule and it's about the team's intent. So it looked like they intended to play on and the umpires called that way. I just, the problem I have with that is though, if the player doesn't know the whistle's been blown because it's so fucking loud because there's 100,000 people screaming. Yep. And so they think there's been no call at all. So they're playing the whistle they think hasn't been blown. And so yeah. then they call play. Uh, the the play on rule, I just yeah. Oh uh, yeah, look, I'm not a big fan of it. The advantage rule, I think, is is the adva- yeah. The advantage rule is probably the, more what I'm saying. The other, I think, yeah. it is broken definitely in that regard. It doesn't mean that Brisbane would have won, no, but it does give them a better chance to go inside fifty and potentially kick a goal. Who knows? But look, it was a great game, and just going back to Collingwood as as well in terms of how good they were in those finals, three from three in the finals by a grand total of twelve points. It's ridiculous. From what I can see, the smallest margin in three finals wins prior to that was your Swans in 05. They beat Geelong by three, St Kilda by 31, and West Coast by four for a margin of 38. So this is a team that knows how to win close games. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, they just kept winning them. Yep. you got to respect them. And something had to give. Like Brisbane had won, what, six in a row or something? And I think the only time it had been better than that, I think, was eight in a row for Hawthorne over Geelong. uh, Again, I don't have this all written down, but that's from memory. 
So they they were closer to that next loss. It just happened to be in yeah. the grand final. It was bad timing for them. And funnily enough, the one and only game in the entire final series that was won by the team that finished second alphabetically. Oh, right. So every every <laughs> other thank you to useless AFL stats on Facebook for that, by the way. Yep, love the every stats. other game was won by the team that, that would appear first alphabetically. There you go. So it looked like Brisbane should have won based on that, but they didn't. So look, well done to Collingwood. Absolutely, yep. An amazing season. A brilliant, brilliant, brilliant team. And look, it'd be interesting. They've lost players already. Yeah. So, oh, look, they'll still be bloody good though. But they will still be very, very good. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the players they've lost. Taylor Adams. Taylor Adams, he wasn't in the grand final though, and they've got a lot of midfield depth, so they could afford to lose him, I guess. Yeah. yeah. How much of that do you want to talk about? Really, the only stuff I really want to talk about is just the North Melbourne stuff. I think we, we kind of need to give that a bit of time. Yep, go on, far away. So the first thing is the assistance package. Now, it's no secret that North Melbourne have been absolutely rubbish for a while. The last four seasons, they're 12 wins, 71 losses, and one draw. They've been either last or second last on the ladder. They've struggled to retain talent, which we'll talk about obviously down the track. And we'll talk a little bit more about one in particular in a minute. And as a result, their future does look bleak. But they asked the AFL for a special assistance and they were given an extra pick in the 2023 draft, which is, I believe, currently pick 19. Two extra first rounders in 2024, which are picks 19 and 20, which they can use in trades this year. That's the bit I really don't like. Well, it was almost incentivized so that they had to use them in trades, which made it a bit funny too. Yep. Because they did then give them the right to review those picks at the end of the year. That- well, and that's the thing. If you've got, and I think we did talk about this briefly before. If there's a right of review, of course they're going to spend them. Yeah. Because they can't review them if they're spent. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's very flawed. That very is very, flawed. very flawed. They also get, I believe it's two additional rookie slots next season as well. So it's a very, very big compensation or assistance package for a team that really hasn't done themselves any favors in the last three or four years. I agree with you. I think the any picks should be after the first round every team should get their first round of first before you're getting any additional picks yep i think it's a bit unfair but i'll push back a little bit because look initially i agreed i thought geez north uh, like and ben mckay we haven't even talked about him yet either but i saw this tweet from billy bats 101 afl assistance draft pick started in 1992 before this year's draft only four clubs hadn't received any Adelaide, Geelong, GWS, and North Melbourne. North Melbourne were given three picks in the 23 draft. Two of them had to be traded for players. Picks are currently 21, 24, 45, and will get worse on draft night. So when you think of it in those terms, it's not as bad. Hmm. But in isolation, it feels like too much. It's a lot. And I would love to know what every one of those, like every one of those comments. Well, here you go. There's a bit of a table there with the other teams. So Brisbane had 2, 2, 2, 4 at one point, for example. Yep. Okay. And, and so it's interesting. You can obviously you can take away, well, GWS and Gold Coast, you can take them out because they were brand new teams. You can probably take away Fremantles. You can take away Port Adelaide's. Like all the new sides, you can kind of take away straight off the bat. The, the Brisbane one's interesting. But yeah, I look at the same time. I just—it's possible the Brisbane and Sydney ones were in the early nineties as well. I, I don't. True. Know. I don't. Know. It just—I yeah. don't know. For me, it just seems like too much. It seems like a lot for teams that aren't really helping themselves, aren't really building culture. Just brought in one of the greatest coaches of all time in Alistair Clarkson. Who, of course, previously when he was at the helm of Hawthorne, 
talked against this draft assistance. Yep. So now the shoe's on the other foot. He's quite happy to receive well, it. Well, this all came out well before he was even part of the team, though. This came out, the first one of these was 2021, I believe it was. One of, oh, I can't remember her name, Laura Kane. She is an executive GM of football. She was involved in North Melbourne when they first actually put that request through. If you look at, I guess, what North have had, they've had five top five draft picks in the last 10 years, including... Harry Sheasel last year, Jason Horn francis in 2021, he's gone. Will Phillips in 2020 and, and Luke Davies-Uniac in 2017. So really, they've had four in the last, what, six years. If you look at some other teams, I mean, this is probably a bad example because Carlton were uh, were heavily penalised. Well, for, that's, yeah, the draft, the salary cap stuff. They were heavily penalised for that. But late 90s, early 2000s, they refused to rebuild. They hung on to guys for too long. And as a result, Six years between 02 and 07, they had three wooden spoons, two second lasts, and an 11th. They hung themselves a bit, obviously, with those fines they copped, but the league didn't really help them that much. They kind of were forced to figure it out and get it sorted themselves. Well, they can't penalise them for salary cap breaches and then help them straight after. So, But, like, I don't know. I'm just, as I said, it's not the greatest example, but it just kind of feels like, you know, they weren't getting a whole heap of help. Let's use West Coast then. We'll use us. Okay. Yeah, we're you guys team. have been pretty shit for a couple of years. We've won the same amount of games as North over the last two seasons. We have a worse percentage than them over the last two years. We've just lost nearly 800 games of experience just from Hearn, Shuey, and Nabanui. We haven't asked for compensation. Why don't we get another pick? We're shit. So, I don't know. I just, I feel like, you know, teams like Hawthorne, they're digging themselves out of all the all the crap they've gone through. Oh, Hawthorne, yeah, yeah. Sam Mitchell is rebuilding a decent team there by the looks of things. It just, it seems like, I don't mind them getting a little bit of help, but it just seems like too much. Yeah. That's my thing. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I, I, there's so many inequalities in the AFL. There's the father-son, there's the travel, there's the fixturing, there's the grand final at the G, but none of this is going to change anytime and soon. This is so we kind of have to live with the inequalities. The Melbourne teams are always going to have an advantage. It's just the way it is. It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Now, speaking of inequality, Ben Mackay. Ben Mackay. Apparently number three pick. There have been a ton of trades this week. A lot of them will have major impacts on the league, but the absolute joke is this Ben Mackay. The compensation that North have got for this. So he's played 71 games across six seasons, averaged 10 disposals, 4.75 marks a game, including 4.1 intercept marks, which is really good. Well, he is a defender, yeah. And then just about one tackle a game. If you look at the 2015 draft class and did a redraft, we've done some NBA redrafts recently. Yeah, we've talked about AFL. We probably don't feel as confident with those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. But if you did a redraft, he'd be lucky to be a first rounder. You look at some of the names. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Jacob Wiedering, Aaron Francis, Daniel Rioli, Tom Duday, Callum Mills, Clayton Oliver, Darcy Parrish, Jacob Hopper, Jade Gresham, Harry Himmelberg, Josh Dunkley, Harry Mackay, and Charlie Curnow. All of those guys are just from one draft class who are in my opinion, leaps and bounds. Oh, of course. It's a very... Well, as you say, when you average, what, 10 games a season across six, seven seasons, basically, that's not exact, but it's close enough. It's not great. doesn't make you worth the number three pick, I wouldn't have thought. Bloody hell. Now, I think for anyone who maybe hasn't seen this, I did want to just give a little bit of perspective in terms of why the league has done this. So the first thing that they look at when we're talking about compensation is the age of the player. So 25 is viewed as an optimal age, which Harry Mackay is. So someone who's 26, 27, 28 will be worth less and less as they go. Uh, I believe there was somebody who was 30. I can't remember who it was, but they got there was no compensation offered at all because they're 30. 
The second thing is Tyler Adams is knocking on the door at thirty. Yeah, yeah, he's true. in that ballpark. True. Yeah, okay. So it'd be interesting to see what. They, yeah, I think there was a, p- a pick. Well, anyway, it yeah. might have been unrestricted. Anyway, yeah. The, the second thing they look at is the length of contract. So the fact that Essendon were willing to offer a six-year contract was a big deal. That obviously then made him worth more. And the third thing is looking at the record of the team he played for the previous year. So the fact that North was second bottom was another huge factor. So based on those three factors, and there's probably a couple of other things that I'm not sure about, that was why he was deemed as one of these top players in the league. Now, if you, it's his height, his key position, it's, it's potential. Yeah, they, yeah, they paid him. Essendon have thrown this deal at him on potential alone. But you always talk about certainly in the NBA, looking at things. Obviously, the salary cap's about to increase. So the deal that he's on, which I think is about eight hundred thousand a year, in two or three years' time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's not going to be even close to one of the top paid players in the entire league. So, well, I think aren't they getting close to nearly? Average is five six, so yeah. they're kind of getting yeah. Oh, there's there's talk about Hugo Hagen in Western Bulldogs getting a fifteen million dollar deal. So and he's another guy who the Swans played the long game there because they threw money at Norton, hope, hoping the Dogs would match, knowing that the Dogs would then have a uh, a pretty beefed up, you know, financial record, and the Swans can offer him more money. So it was quite a canny deal because Aaron Norton is not worth that money that they're throwing at. I mean, I was saying they should put him back because he can't kick straight. What was he, 44 goals, 33 or something? Oh, something like that. He is not worth a 10-year deal. Like, I mean, he's a good player. And like I said, I think he'd be a good centre-half. But I think he'd be a good Darcy Moore kind of player because he yeah. doesn't kick straight enough. Potentially. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I don't know. Just the whole thing feels really weird. If they look at Duday, for example, he got a two-year deal and he's 26. And so the fact that he is coming from a team that finished just outside the top eight in Adelaide, had that two-year deal and is is a year older than Mackay, means what was he, I don't know, I can't remember what they gave him. It was a pick somewhere in the 20s or something like that, the high teens, low 20s. So it just, I don't know, doesn't feel right. You can look at things like Stat Insider had him the 178th best player in the league. Champion Data had him the 259th best player in the league. Obviously, that doesn't mean everything, but there's some sort of relevance to that. Yeah, it's illustrative. Yeah, it, it's one of these things where you can look at it maybe two years down the track and just go, wow, he was not even close to worth that. He might blossom and become an amazing player and might go, oh, shit, maybe he was worth the third pick. I used to think that the AFL draft was more of a crapshoot than the NBA, and I still do. Yep. But the older I get, the more I realise the NBA is quite a crapshoot too, really. Oh, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the NBA just comes down to the right attitude. I, I saw one as um, Azar Thompson, or how do you pronounce his name, shooting, basically just practicing on his own an hour after the shoot around. Oh, those it's Thompson like, twins are impressive. It's like, cool, you've got a guy who gives a shit. You know, yeah. one of the things that, that Woody talked about in the, the most the recent... The character, yeah. Yeah, the give a shit factor. Like, it's, it's really important. So it, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, what those guys do. But yeah, you're right. It is a crapshoot. You just as easily get Isaiah Ryder, who has the wrong attitude and does all the wrong things off the court. So anyway, who knows what will happen with this, but for now, based on what's happened already, I just think the system is broken and they need to start saying to teams, you know what, if you want Ben McKay, you need to offer draft picks and a player or some combination of that. And if North Melbourne are willing to part with him for that, then happy days. I agree. There's some major flaws in the system. There's too much power to these players. They're like, oh, I don't want to play here anymore. I want out. It's bullshit. Well, we live in the age of player 
empowerment, don't we? It's interesting. A lot of the veterans are starting to say, oh, boys, you don't have to go home. Go to the state that drafts you. It's going to be interesting. Yep. It's going to be interesting. It will. All right, Shui, we're going to have to. I know we don't want to. We're going to have to talk about the Cricket World Cup. Unless you want to talk about Fraser Berserk. <laughs> that was impressive, wasn't it? Bloody hell. It was, yeah. 29-ball ton. You don't see them no. ever. He was classic on the great cricketer too. I thought I was so clever with Fraser Berserk, but other people are saying it, so I'm not that clever. Yeah, yeah. but you said it before you'd heard it elsewhere. Yeah, well, true. That is true. So I think to an extent that gives you... That is, that is true. Yeah. That is true. But Pez was interviewing him and he was talking about how like on TikTok there are like videos of scantily clad women. And he's like, oh, I don't need that in my life. And Fraser was like, yeah, but some people do need that in their life. It was such a good interview. It was classic. That <laughs> no, is good. Oh, look, I always think back to that ridiculous couch he took in the BBL. I think it was last season or the year before, but... No, I don't remember the one you mean. Yeah, absolute crack. I mean, back with point, one of these Superman sort of couches. But yeah, if he can do that consistently with the bat, then uh, yeah, his stocks will just go through the roof. Sadly, much like David Hooks back in the day, South Australia still lost. Um, yeah. But not for a lack of effort on his part. True. <laughs> List A record, 29 ball ton against Tassie it was. Well, there you go. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Ridiculous. Someone on Twitter did every single shot that he played in his that all 29 balls. Doesn't take that long to no, watch. That would have been <laughs> bloody good to watch. But beating AB de Villiers' 2015 record when he made 100 off 31 in the ODI against the Windies. So, that. you know, that, that has more weight, obviously, as an ODI. But... That was, I believe, the day that South Africa wore the pink shirts and... Uh, it was a postage stamp and he was just flicking, uh, yeah, flicking okay. off his pads for six. Yeah. I think they said that that innings, though, was the only first-class century that had a higher strike rate than what McGurk's finished at because once he got to 100, De Villiers kicked on and went absolutely stupid. So, yeah, it, look, it's an incredible knock. It's certainly something that won't be beaten anytime soon, I wouldn't think, but well done to him. So that's the good news out of the way. Yeah, look. How do you feel about the World Cup? Oh, look, it's not going to plan as far as the Aussies are concerned. <laughs> I mean, I think I saw a graph that said we have, I think, since the start of this year, the third lowest catching percentage out of any of the main uh, teams. The, that fielding in that... So, okay, well, let's let's start with the India game. Yep. So, they bowl us out for fuck all, 199. Yep. Then we actually come out incredibly well. I think we had them three for two. Three for two, yep. By the way, did you notice, like, on the teams, it's got the runs, then the wickets. But on the player, it's got the wickets, then the runs. It's very confusing in the early stages of a match when... Anyway. But, yeah, we had him three for two. And then Marsh dropped Coley. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, if he grabs that... Four for 20. Maybe we win our first match. And maybe our entire World Cup is set in a whole different path, thanks to that. But instead, no. They do a number on us. Fair enough. We didn't score enough runs. And then South Africa did the same. Did the same. That's the joy of having a five match series with them. With, well, with both teams. Yeah, we knew both teams pretty well. But we they, played them in. They knew us as well. Look, there's there's so many things you can look at. So firstly, obviously we're not getting enough runs from really anyone. Let's be honest. The top order hasn't fired yet. Mitch Marsh opening hasn't, no, he's hasn't, had two failures. hasn't worked. David Warner hasn't worked. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we haven't got past 200 in either game is... It's Terrifying. A, it's, a, it's a big issue. It is a big issue. You know, you think back to all the previous World Cups and guys like Adam Gilchrist, Brad Haddon. I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that were behind the stumps that, that we've had. That have, I mean, Ian Healy would make runs as well. 
we're getting nothing from that batting wicketkeeper sort of position. So I've got some stats on that, Stewie. I saw on news.com.au it said that Alex Carey hadn't scored more than 20 in seven of his last eight ODIs. And then I also saw Rick Finlay tweeted that in all of list day cricket, the average difference between Kerry and Inglis, and this is partly why Inglis was brought in, I guess, they're only two different between them, but Inglis has a strike rate of 113 while Kerry's strike rate is 88. Yeah. So their averages were similar, but it's a significantly better strike rate, which is why they brought Inglis in. Well, I think Inglis is a better gloveman as well, which uh, which probably helps. But look, if you're not getting runs from them, it does obviously cause a problem. Were you okay with that change? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think... Yeah, I, th- I don't think Kerry's been the same ever since the yes. best. Since the best, though. There's a lot of talk about that, isn't yeah, there? He hasn't been the same. Yeah. So uh, I think that's definitely still on his mind. Look, as I said, you'll get better stuff behind the stumps from Inglis. Uh, there was one in particular he saved against South Africa. It was a, a very, very high bouncer that he saved that would have gone for four. But again, you got nothing from Kerry in the first and you got five from Inglis in the second. You need more runs from that part of your order. And that causes a problem. And then the bowlers really, I don't think Pat Cummins is an ODI bowler. I think he's a very, very good test bowler. I think it's the ground. And oh. the problem is in India, we need spinners. And we don't have the right bowling brigade, potentially. I mean, Nisa would have been a good pick as well there, I think. I would have taken Nathan Ellis over Cummins at the moment. I just don't think Cummins is not giving us enough in terms of Look, he's probably had catches dropped as well, so you, you could maybe look at it and say, well, that changes a lot. But- oh, that's what I was going to say before. Like, that, that South Africa game, I think that might be the worst fielding I've seen by an Australian team in my lifetime. Probably. We dropped six catches. Yeah. That's a World Cup record. Yep. It's- I mean, that is not something you associate with the Aussies. No, you don't. But as I say, I just, I don't know, I feel like they're just not getting enough from Cummins with the ball. He's one I'd potentially look at. But I, anyway, I mean, is, do- is it going to make a difference? No. How do you feel about the rotations? Like, I, I feel like ball stuck another over or two at the top. Potentially. I, I mean, I know it's fucking hot and it was funny watching the replays and like the sweat just flooding mm. off blokes in the slow-mo replays and stuff. Like, I know it's really hot and that's probably what it is. But Starkey with that hard ball, he's just so good in one day. But that, doesn't that take you back to the Pakistan match in 2011? Remember you and I were in Colombo? And there was that match between Australia and Pakistan. We got skittled for like 170 odd. And then Brett Lee was just on fire. Oh, yes, I do. That's when we had the uh, the, the box, good seats. The, yeah, the box. The box with the yeah. metal X. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah but, but it cost five dollars. The reason I bring that up is that there was a point where it felt like Brett Lee was actually bowling us to victory. And he had maybe two overs left. And we're all just screaming, bowl him out. Well, bowl, sometimes you got to bowl a bloke out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jason, Jason Crazy comes back on and they just crawl to victory when we probably could have beaten them. So, yeah, it's the same sort of thing. Sometimes when you've got the foot on the neck, you've got to really press down on it. And I don't think they did that well enough. I just, I, yeah, and again, I, I wonder if it's conditions versus tactics. Because if they're absolutely knackered and they need a break, maybe it's the conditions. Yeah, maybe. But if you're taking the conditions out of it, I'd like to see Stark bowl a little bit more up the top because he's just been so damaging with that hard ball. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I just I don't think it's a particularly good surface for the Aussies. I don't think we've played well in India for a while. Agar going down didn't help. I mean, there was talk of them sending Nathan Lyon over. Yep. Which I'm not actually completely opposed to. Oh look, I mean, you got to try something. But... Travis Head could be back for the the Netherlands match, but I'm not convinced he's the savior by any stretch. No, 
put it this way though, it is nice to see some other teams playing fairly well. I mean, obviously we know that India is going to be the team to beat in India. We know that. Yeah, well, they did an even bigger number on Pakistan than they did on us. True. Oh, Pakistan, I mean, what, what they lose? Eight for 28 at the end. So there was, look, I don't want to say match fixing out loud, but potentially match fixing. So there is, there, <laughs> there is that. Well, I do have the stats on that. Hold on. They lost five for 16 at one stage, which is the second worst third to seventh wicket collapse by any team against India in World Cups. Thanks to Andy Zaltzman on that one. But no, I was just going to say, like, it's good to see South Africa playing good cricket. It's good to see New Zealand doing well. They will struggle, though, with Kane Williamson breaking his thumb. Yeah, that was a shame on a... Very unlucky. A run-out opportunity, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, Pakistan obviously played terribly yesterday, but you'd like to think they'll be there or thereabouts. England, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. They've, I think they're, they're playing Afghanistan at the moment. So As we speak, so yeah. So the Afghans were none for... Oh, no, they're one for 116 off about 12 overs, so... Really? Something stupid like that. So, Bloody hell. Yeah, off, off to a good start. Uh, sorry, one for 120 off 17.3. That's still great. Still very good. So, see, that just that terrifies me for when we play them too. Because <laughs> we basically have to win. We have to beat all the minnows, inverted commas. Still weird seeing no West Indies there, by the way. And we probably have to win two of three against New Zealand, Pakistan, and, and, England, and England. Yeah, Which is unlikely. Which is really tough. Yeah, it's a big so, ask. It's um, a big ask. I see Australia getting through... But we've had, obviously, amazing success at World Cups. Maybe it's someone else's turn. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. I was hoping that we'd at least make the semis. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting, though. Like, that India game, I still had hope. And it was the first time in ODI history that India had three of their first four top batters dismissed for a duck, which is just incredible. It is, isn't it? So- uh, I watched nearly every ball of that match. I watched the the vast majority of, of the South Africa match once I got home from work. So probably from... probably. 75 of the 100 overs in that one. Uh, All right, a bit of trivia. Go for it. Robert's first 79 against Afghanistan with the most runs scored by one player out of the first 100 in both men's and women's World Cups, beating Brendan McCullum for New Zealand against England in 2015 and Davison for Canada against the Windies in 2003. Only two blokes were older than Dawid Milan to score their first World Cup century. He was 36 years and 37 days. The others were Ed Joyce versus Zimbabwe in 2015, 36 years, 166 days, and Sunil Gavaskar in the 1987 World Cup against New Zealand, 38 years, 113 days, and his Zaltzman again. Here's one I will do, though, for trivia without notice, Chewie. I'm already nervous. Uh, well, you might have seen it. So I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. Starkey's the quickest to 50 ODI wickets. He needs 22 more to beat Pidge on 71. Oh, thereabouts. He might have had one or two since I wrote this down. Trivia without notice. Can you think of the three other guys ahead of him? Mira Lither and Jones. For World Cups, yep. yep. Matiah jumps because yep. was that, there was that big back and forward with them several years ago. 68, Morelli. Oh, wow. Another one of his compatriots. Watch him in Vars. No, but that's a decent guess. Another pace bowler. God, I can't think of any of their pace bowlers. Once had a double hat trick in a oh, World Cup. Lasseth Malinga. Yep, Lasseth Malinga. Yep, 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 obviously. And the other's another subcontinental player too. So yep. Malinga was 56. This bloke's 55 right. World Cup wickets. Oh, is this going to be a spinner from Pakistanis? Ah, uh, you got the country, right? You don't have the... Uh... The paceman. What, was it Akram? Was it Akram? <laughs> 55. Fair enough, yeah, that's yeah. true. 
I, I was thinking that, but then I thought, no, nah, you know what? It'll probably be spinner because they spin more. I guess, yeah, going back a fair way was him a little bit there. But uh, yeah, and there you go. There you go. Well done. Yeah. What What do you make of the crowd? The crowds have been a little bit down, haven't they? I, I like for well, the India matches. The Indian I'm matches expecting to see no empty seats. The Indian matches have been insane. Oh, there's a bit. There's been some empty seats still, though. Some. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's tricky because I mean we went to games over there in 2011 and they price out the locals and admittedly we were going to games like australia versus canada or australia versus some other average place that i can't think of yeah we went to australia canada and bangalore didn't we yeah and that was probably i don't know 10... that's when we got on telly a fair bit yeah, yeah. it was like 10 percent full so yeah oh yeah fuck all people there. so yeah. i think there were more hawks circling the place than there, there were, were yeah, yeah. So, certain times and, and certainly in the early stages as well i think it'll ramp up as the, the group stages get a bit further on, I think definitely by the time we get to the finals, that place will just be packed. The other so, thing is the concern about the fields and the conditions of some of the pitches and the Dharmasala so, outfield. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a disgrace. It is, isn't it? it really it's is. I mean, it's beautiful with the Himalayas in the background. It's like one of the more beautiful grounds, like the Tablelands in South Africa, yep. for example. But if the conditions aren't... I mean, this is a World Cup, yeah. for Christ's sake. To say, oh, you can't dive because you'll probably do your knee... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good for higher scores if they're yeah, not wanting yeah, to save boundaries. What's but... the point? Yeah. Seriously, like you're taking a serious skill out of the game, which is your positioning and your ability to die for the ball, which a lot of the, the big men now and the fast bowlers are doing well. But the other thing is their instinct is to dive every time. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't think about, oh, whoops, this ground's fucked. So they'll dive and then potentially injure themselves. Mm. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully there won't be any more bad to come out of that. Fingers crossed. So I guess we'll talk a little bit more about the World Cup as it progresses over the weeks. You know, we'll, we'll be in the finals before we know it. I did want to just quickly round out the cricket with one of the crazier things that I'd seen. I don't know if you saw this Nepal-Mongolia T20I a couple of weeks back now. Did you see it? Nepal-Mongolia, no, but I did see that final set I was looking for before. So Pakistan lost 8 for 36 at the end. I thought it was less. I thought it was 8 for 28. Oh, uh, well, this is Sky Sports Cricket. Oh, so okay. maybe you're right. Either way, they lost. Yeah, oh, it was lost, it was a ch- it probably was a choke. They lost eight for fuck all. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. No, tell me about this other one. So Nepal made three for three hundred and fourteen, which is ridiculous. So Kushal Mala, one hundred and thirty-seven, not out of fifty. Paddle, I believe it's pronounced sixty-one off twenty-seven. And again, apologies if the names are wrong. This is me typing away on the Apple, and it's uh, it's auto-correcting stuff as I go. And the other one, Dipendra Singh, fifty-two, not out of ten, with a nine-ball fifty. Very dependable. Yeah. <laughs> Start an episode with crap puns. Yeah, I've got to keep going with dearie it. Me, yeah. Dearie me. But a no, nine ball 50, that is the quickest you can physically do it. So, yeah, just yeah, that's ridiculous. 29 extras as well, mm. which when you consider that Mongolia was all out for 41. Oh, speaking of extras, can the Aussies watch the matches of other teams who actually let the ball go down leg side and take the wide and the mm. extra ball rather than the fucking Aussies? who try and hit it and then get no runs off it anyway. Yep. The New Zealanders, the South Africans, I've seen they're all disciplined. They let it go down leg. They take their extra run. Yeah. They take the extra ball. Oh, it's the, so frustrating. The appeal of if I get it fine enough, uh, I get four. But yeah, but no, I know what you're you can get a four off the next one. Anyway. Yes. Mongolia all out 41. Nepal wins by 273 runs. And extras were 23 on that, by the way. That was by far the highest score. The largest T20I win of all time. Wow. Congratulations to the Nepalese. Yes. If, uh, geez, is there anything they can't Catman do? Hey, I'm glad you've joined the, joined the fun. Oh, dear. Join the pun.
So, Shui, the NBL round three is basically wrapped this afternoon. You don't remind me. Yeah, I know. Please. As Wildcats fans, it's not the funnest time. I saw NBL facts. Great to see NBL facts knocking around oh, on Twitter again. So great to see. And pushing back on some of the NBL brass for maybe... Uh, Being dicks. Yeah. Round two was the first time in NBL history where all eight games in the round were decided by single-figure margins. Hmm. It's pretty impressive. Take it. Yeah. This round, a bit different. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's been a, a lot tougher, obviously, but... i got to say, so I kind of kept an eye on the Brisbane-Melbourne game today. Melbourne got out to 30-point margin. I was amazed at how close Brisbane managed to peg it back in the fourth. I think they got it down to, like, 13 or something. Oh, especially without Aaron Baines. Yeah, they did. Yes. Well, you want to go there now? We may as well, yeah. Yeah. So, what do you make of this? I guess for anyone who's missed it, there's a bit of a kerfuffle before the halftime break. Aaron Baines doing his usual big man box out uh, against a guy who was much smaller than him. Considerably smaller than him, doing his absolute best to try and defend him. Yeah. So Lat Mayan doing his best to hold his ground, giving up probably about 150 kilos and six feet of size. <laughs> no, he, he's yeah, well yeah and truly, at least. Yeah. Well and truly out, man. Yep. And, uh, you know, a little bit of push and shove. And there was, you know, there was a little bit going into the locker room as well. And it didn't sit well. We were Forty all, was kind of pacing the... Uh... Yeah, well, we were all a bit confused because obviously there's, you know, after all of that, he didn't come back. And we were thinking, well, why did he get ejected? And then all of a sudden there's, oh, Baines has been suspended five games. And we're thinking, well, what the fuck's happened to him? Yeah. So the footage has now been released. I think it was Matt McQuaid, it might have been. So I've had a chance to see it now. Because when I was on, and thank you again to uh, Robbie for having me on the Throwback Hoops show last week while Woody's away for the cricket. I believe you'll be joining them soon too, in yep. the not too distant future. Next week. I was reluctant to say too much because I said, look, I haven't seen the footage so it's hard to you kind of you want the information at your disposal having seen the video like so initially i thought oh five games you did the punishment fit the crime that's nearly 20 percent of the season it's like 17.8 percent of the cell or some shit so it's it's a big punishment allegedly adam ford touched him then apparently he didn't touch him well in the footage it looks like he kind of pokes him in the chest which is an aggressive action yep it could be worse but it is an aggressive action if someone did that to you, you wouldn't be too pleased yeah, with it. God, no. Now, Adam's reaction is, or his retaliation is maybe a bit over the top. He kind of like, well, he pushed him against the wall and kind of ragdolled him a little bit. Hmm. And look, Adam Ford's a tough bloke. He used to work in prison management, if I'm not mistaken. So so he's a tough guy. You've also got to take into account the fact that he's poking a guy who's, well, exactly. who's, who's already hot. Exactly. He's already pissed off about it. Exactly. And he was kind of pacing. He was kind of waiting for him. We kind of feel like Ford might have got off a little bit scot-free here. Yeah. Shannon so. scot-free. Shannon scot-free, yeah. Uh, Byron scot-free. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Shannon plays for Brisbane, so it's felt a bit more... Uh, yeah, so he didn't dodge a bullet. He caught a bullet, as we discussed when we were thinking about title ideas. Shannon scot will be free. <laughs> there we go. Done. So, look, I do think he over- overreacted, but given that the other two blokes kind of escaped... Well, I don't know. I, I think... The... Do, do you think five's too much? Because it's a, it's, a, it felt it's a really bad look. Yeah. But also, is it that... Like This one's really tough, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think it might be... Like, I'm not saying it should have been two or three. Mate, yeah. Well, just... three... If, if they'd said the outcome was three, I probably would have been okay with three. Yeah, maybe three or four. Yeah. Kind of feels... Yeah, two's not enough. Five just feels like too much. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's funny though, isn't it? Like just when Brisbane kind of had a little bit of optimism heading into the season and things had started to look a little bit better for them, 
that state has not had a lot of love in the sporting world the last couple of weeks. No. Yeah. No. yeah. I mean, it, it's good that we've been able to see the footage and have a bit more at our disposal. So I guess nearly three rounds done, or three rounds might be finished now anyway. What do you make of the start to the season in terms of, like, what's your overall vibe? Oh, well, I think Sydney and Melbourne are the, clearly the two most stacked teams. Tassie is very good disciplined team and have some good pieces that work together really well they're super well coached they have a really great culture so i think they're the three clear teams and it's probably the rest of the league fighting it out for that fourth fourth spot in the grand scheme of things yeah i mean i wish i could disagree with you but i think it's it very much just seems like yeah melbourne and sydney are destined to play in the grand final series Um, i I don't know if i'd go that far yet but at, at this early stage i mean sydney have a new coach it can be tough with a new coach, but they've started well enough. I mean, they did a number on us today. So. DJ Hogue hasn't played yet. Yeah, well, that too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but that, but that's a chemistry thing too. Of course, yeah. So, okay, yes, he's a better player, and yes, that's going to help them. That will there'll be growing pains there too. There will be, but if you add DJ Hogue to Sydney, who are four and one, and you add Joe Luwala Chul to Melbourne, who are four and one, I mean, it's hard to see how any team can compete with those. As you say, Cairns and Tassie. They're very well coached. They're very resilient teams. They will probably end up there or thereabouts. New Zealand might be about the same, but yeah, them and Cairns have both had that bullshit trip over to America. We'll talk about that in a second. But then, yeah, it does. It comes down to which teams out of Brisbane, Southeast Melbourne, Perth haven't looked great. Illawarra and Adelaide kind of feel like they're not going to be no, anywhere yeah. at last. Yep. But it does. It feels like it's going to be one of those other teams, as you say, that will be kind of rounding out that top four. It's, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of has that feel about it already that it's just going to be one of those seasons where everyone else is just going to be watching those two teams and not hoping for injuries, but kind of feeling like <laughs> feeling like that's maybe the only chance that you'll have against these teams. They're just, they're stacked. Well, look, it is a marathon, not a sprint. There's a long way to go. And... Hopefully there'll be a few twists and turns yet. We don't want it to be too predictable. Good to see flowers blooming for Adelaide finally mm-hmm. after a bit of a shaky start. Very nice. Because Adelaide have had their issues, obviously, with cutting imports prior to the season. Yeah, I must admit, I didn't get a chance to watch that game yesterday, but I did hear that he had done amazing things. I saw the end. Well, I think he had 18 in the fourth or something. He had a ton in the fourth. Yeah, he just exploded in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I saw that he was on fire from deep and obviously Trey Kell having a decent game. Didn't shoot the ball amazingly, but... You know, anytime you can have sort of 25 and 8, that's a, a pretty decent uh, decent sort of outing. Oh, you'll take it. Yeah, absolutely will. But yeah, I did see the end of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix Tassie game. That was a cracker. There's going to be enough good games to keep the interest going, but yeah, just it's hard. Melbourne defensively are probably one of the most physical teams that I've seen. And it's almost like they've said, let's just grab and hold and poke and prod until something gets called. And until then, you keep doing it. And they're super deep too. So even if they did start calling fouls, they can manage that more than a lot of teams can. Yeah, well, we saw it. I mean, Huck Forty and Rob Lowe both fouled out on Friday night in Perth. And we, they still had the they, win. They still got the win because they've got Ian Clark coming in as like the eighth guy. And he loves playing Perth. So so you that was your first game of the season you got to see live? What did you make of the experience? First game live. Oh, look, I still, I worry a lot about the, how do I put this delicately? Look, I'll just come out and say it. I don't think John really is the right guy for the job. I don't think he has enough of a system. I don't think he's preaching defense enough. We um, should be defensively 
that should be what's fine, in my opinion. Because yep. Saar has such natural instincts for a defender. There's just too many breakdowns. Yeah. We saw a number of them today. Guys missing rotations. Guys getting blown out. Jordan Usher talked about being defensive player of the year. I haven't seen anything that indicates that he's even an above average defender yet. He's a bit like Dylan Brooks, isn't he? He's kind of a, a lot of hype and a lot of energy. And look, I think the Wildcats need it. That first game against Tassie, his hype and energy might have been what helped get them over the line. But unfortunately, since then, it's been all downhill, hasn't it? it? Has, hasn't and then Doolittle got injured. Will the Wildcats try and get Cook off Southeast Melbourne when Big Source comes back? I hope so. I think that's a. But the other one they're talking about is the names that always come up: Prather and Ennis. Yeah, as well. So I, I'm sorry, but Ennis is like, what's he? Forty-seven now. <laughs> he has to be. Pretty, He's still younger than us, Drew. Yeah, but... yeah I know, he has to be past it. I, I can't see either of those guys being any sort of solution, really. I, I just I worry about them. I wonder if we need a pure point guard. Potentially, but you know, it's the same thing we were talking about at the pub earlier on. It just feels like Bryce Cotton needs to, he needs to be more selfish. You know, there's a lot of time he's deferring, he's standing out in the opposite wing watching Corey Webster and Usher and other guys handling the ball. And it's like, you know what? Our offense isn't good enough to have Bryce playing decoy. It's not. Yeah. You know, he's okay. Yes, I think he's starting to decline a little bit. I haven't seen the same level of menace from Bryce. Certainly not this year, and I don't even think that much last year either. But you've still got to use him. You know, he's still got to be there, the the main focal point of the offense. Because once teams start doubling him, that's when it opens up lanes for Pinder, for Saar, for other you know, other guys to sort of go in and make plays. But yeah, look at this stage. I don't really see Perth being any sort of championship contender. Well, they need to start fixing up the rebounding and the defense. Yep. The de- look, the defense will come. I'm not too worried about the defense, but the rebounding is a real concern. And look, I love Saar. I've been singing his praises. I talked about him with Robbie on their show recently, and I won't kind of go over that all. Go and check out the Throwback Coops show. I do think he's got a bit of Kevin Garnett about him. I don't know how you feel about that. Just the, his body and the way he, even the way he shoots and the way he kind of moves and a lot of his mechanics remind me of Kevin. Obviously, Kevin Garnett's an absolute Hall of Famer, one of the absolute greatest power forwards of all time. So I'm not saying that Alexander Saar is going to turn into KG, but there, I don't know, there are some similarities with the way he moves his body. Anyway, but what worries me with him defensively, so he's got great instincts, he's got great defensive IQ, but sometimes he helps a little bit too much. And what I found today in the Sydney game, it was often his man was getting the backdoor layup or or was unmanned under the basket because he was maybe helping off off his guy a little bit too much. Yeah. And Jordan Hunter, as he seems to do, he loves playing. He killed us again today. So Every, everyone loves playing us. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, Sydney in particular. That's, that's yeah. the thing. But yeah, yeah look, it was just it was one of those days today. You know, 17 offensive rebounds. It seemed like all of the 50-50 balls went Sydney's way. Just yeah, not a good day at all, really. I mean, if, if you got a team like Sydney that goes seven of forty from deep and you can't take advantage of that and win. Did they were they seven of forty? Seven of forty at eighteen wow. percent. What chance do you have? I mean, they were actually moving the ball though. They played more as a team than the Wildcats did, and that's a concern too. But they also got sixteen more free throws than us, so getting a lot of points from the line. And look again, that's I, not the reason we I, lost. And I don't, I don't want to blame the umpire. No. I would absolutely blame the umpire for Friday night because I think that was one of the worst umpiring displays I've ever seen. And while we're blaming umpires, some of the DRS stuff in the World Cup is very dubious. The D stands for dubious to me, but anyway. But yes, there's there's bigger problems for us than the umpiring right now. And unfortunately, I think it all starts with really, I don't 
I just don't feel like he's the right guy for the job. The problem is that Trev Gleeson is around. Yeah. He's commentating all the Perth games. He's front and centre. Sure, he's mispronouncing Matthew Delavidova's name in commentary on a regular That's basis. Delavidova. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? It's almost like um, he's reading off a page where the name is too long for the space. So they've put a little apostrophe to like remove a few letters. Like and that's just how he... <laughs> like he's from Samoa. Yeah, Della yeah, Dover. Yeah, so, uh, that doesn't help because, yeah, there's a lot of hate on Twitter, isn't there? Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, I'm a big believer in giving a guy time. You can't just... One of the great things about the Wildcats was stability and culture. So if we're going to be knee-jerk all the time... Yeah, but if we're going back to Gleason, yeah, I know, and that's like, the thing, and that's that's, that's 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 even if he's available and interested, yeah. who knows? But if you were going from really onto someone else, absolutely, I'm fine with them not doing that. But if it's him going back for Gleason, I've got, I'll, I want Gleason any day. Of the and day. that's probably the only circumstance under which, at this stage, I would support a really yeah. uh, removal. Yeah, is is for Gleason. Absolutely, I'm on yeah. that. I'm on the same page as you. Then. Yeah. Did you see Fish was there for the first time I, in 15 years? I did. They were actually talking about him doing a penguin slide. Did he? If the Wildcats had won. No, no if, they didn't if win. If we'd won. And I yeah. actually said to my dad, who was sitting next to me, I said, oh, I actually almost don't want us to win now because I'm worried about peng- like penguin slide Fish just like snapping into two. <laughs> I don't know. But no, he still looks in good nick. He actually looks in better nick than Jesse Wagstaff. So, well, he's naturalised. Hmm. Yeah, get him yeah. out there. Yeah. He got naturalised quicker than Bryce Cotton. He sure did. That is for sure. He sure did. Anyway. You got anything else in the NBL? No, probably the big thing is actually the NBL, NBA crossover. Okay, before we get there, and that is a big thing. Congratulations to Thomas Abercrombie on 400 games. Believe it or not, that's still 116 games short of 10th place all time, which is CJ Bruton. And he's got a long way to get to Tony Ronaldson's 665 games. That's a guy who played a lot of playoff games as well, though. Yes, yes. No. But short series. A short series? Well, yes and no. Well. Some of them. Yeah, well, three maximum. Also, but there was also a lot of top eights. True. Yeah, yeah, true. So he would have been playing in a lot more of those best of threes. And there were probably some best of fives back then. Oh. Towards, towards the end, maybe. Anyway. I don't think Tony would have played in the best of he five. He played a shit ton of he, games. Yeah, he did. That's why he's leader of that's, that's, 665. That's something that will never get touched yeah well considering that a season is what between 25 and 33 just, games generally like six back yeah it kind of hovers around that yeah 35 ish so yeah never get 400 touched. good effort yeah all right mblx nba unfortunately well the circumstances conspired against the teams in some ways i think kearns had played what two games in three days and they had a long haul flight and they had one practice and, and Sam, then Sam Wardenberg got sick. They, that's right. They had some injuries and illness. And so unfortunately we didn't send our best. And I guess the question I posed on Twitter, and I think you have a similar idea is, is there a point where these games become counterproductive or more trouble than they're worth in a sense? Yes. I think we've already reached that quite frankly. I mean, the, the very simple answer for me is it's easy to look at, last year and go oh but remember adelaide you know, adelaide yeah how many of the adelaide players are in the nba none randall won't get another go because his attitude is shit franks is not good enough mccarran's not good enough like none of those players are good enough to make the nba so you can't even say oh well, we, we beat the phoenix suns and two of our players got a chance to go and play in the nba it didn't work so you know you've got a team that got hot won a game that's awesome. It's amazing for the NBL. I love that. But 
we've also got to remember what Peter Hawley said. Yeah, and Casey Frank. And they Ca- both said, they both Casey, said it when we talked true, to them. Yeah. Yeah, yep. You're talking about two weeks into an NBL season, and unless you're sending every single team over, it creates an unfair environment. Where, yeah, yeah. Where you've got a team like Cairns and you've got a team like New Zealand who realistically will feel like they're a very good shot of making the top four. Yep. They've, or at least the plan. Yeah, yeah, certainly, definitely. Certainly the plan at the absolute least, but they'll feel yeah. like they're good enough to make that top oh, four. Oh, absolutely. Well, New Zealand probably should have won the championship last year. Now, obviously, their team's quite different to last year's team. But they were, yeah. yeah, they were very, very good. So those two teams will look at it and go, well, that hands an even bigger advantage to Melbourne and Sydney because, again, they're not having to do anywhere near as much travel to start with. But then they're also not having to do that long-haul flight. And I guess the other thing is, if the one we were talking to Halls about, you know, when Melbourne did it, they were flying over and playing games in Toronto and Philadelphia, which is almost as far east as you can possibly go. So that's an even longer flight. Well, north when you think about Toronto, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you're talking about those those extra distances that they're travelling. Uh, I mean, what, Cairns played in Washington? That's a long flight as well. You, you're going again right up into that top corner. Who did New Zealand play? I can't remember who they played. Uh, New Zealand had Utah and Portland, I think. Okay. Yeah. So or did Cairns have Portland? Yeah. I, I didn't watch, I'll be honest. There's just too many other things to keep track of. But, you know, again, they're, they're doing this in the middle of a season. That's the problem. Well, and that's the thing. So I, I think it's viable and I think it's great. And I think it's a really good initiative. And the NBL has done so many good things in so many ways recently. When you talk about the next stars and all the scouts that came over for the Blitz and the NBL XNBA is a really good initiative. But it's all about the timing. So I think when the NBL creates its schedule, I think they have to somewhat work with the NBA or have an idea of the NBA schedule. And look, maybe maybe you say, look, the two teams going over for NBL X NBA aren't in the blitz. Maybe we have an eight-game blitz, an eight-team blitz rather, yep. and two of the teams go to North America and do their thing over there, and that rotates year by year, and the rest of the eight play out the blitz maybe? Because who cares? I mean, you're not... You're not raising a banner for winning the Blitz anyway. So you're not going to be disappointed if you're in the States for the Blitz, I don't think. Mm. So if, if they can get the timing right and the schedule right, and ideally maybe even still, maybe give them a week when they come back so they can get over that jet lag and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I still think it's a really good initiative. I still think it's a, a thing the league should do, but it's the timing. That's the crux. I mean, is there anything to be said for trying to push so that all 10 teams are playing at the same time? Because then you can sort of go, all right, play the first, I don't maybe bring this the season forward by a week. Have three or four weeks at the start. Then you have like a mini break. Everyone goes across to America, plays a couple of games. Then everyone's suffering the same. Yeah, level playing. I get what you're saying with level playing. I'd probably be more inclined to push the season start date back a little bit further. Yeah, even then. Personally. Even then. I, I'd look realistically, are we going to get all teams? I don't know if we're going to get all 10 teams. I, I think two is the magic number, probably maybe a third team in the future. And I don't know if, if that is feasible, but I'm just trying to think of it in terms of... Fairness. Like you've already, as I said, you've already got two teams, Sydney and Melbourne, who are well and truly head and shoulders above everyone else right now. Oh, I would put Tassie. I think I've, I've watched more Tassie than most teams. I think they look pretty good too. Well, they fall into the same category because they also didn't have to travel. Yeah, Whereas, sure, sure. As I say, then you've got two of the, the trailing pack that, again, feel like they should be up there, but are probably going to struggle for the next two or three weeks getting over that extra travel, who they have to come back and play. Well, they have to make up the games because they've missed two rounds of games, basically. That's it. New, yeah. Zealand, New Zealand have played two games. 
Cairns have played three, whereas you've got Sydney and Melbourne have played five, five or six. Yeah, Wildcats have played five. Southeast yep. Melbourne have played. Most of the teams have played five. Yep. So they they are they're having to make up two or three games, which again is going to make it even less fair for them. So I, I don't know. I just I love the idea. It's, it's the execution. Just, it's the execution just doesn't feel quite right at yep. this stage. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Don't can it. Just get it right. Hmm. So something we've talked about a lot in person, but not in front of the mic, is a couple of the trades in the NBA. Dame Lillard did get traded before the season in the end. I thought they might hold on to him for maximum value, but I think Portland did pretty well. Yeah, I think they did very well. So Damian Lillard, to play alongside Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Milwaukee Bucks, Portland received Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Tumani Kamara, Milwaukee's 2029 unprotected first round pick, and unprotected Milwaukee swaps in 2028-2030. The Suns receive Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson as part of the trade package. And yes, as we said, Milwaukee will get Damian Lillard. Now, Portland then also traded Drew Holiday on to the Boston Celtics. So Robert Williams III, Malcolm Brogdon going across to Portland from the Boston Celtics as well as a 2024 first-round pick and a 2029 first-round pick going to the Blazers. So, yeah, the Blazers, as you you said, did do pretty bloody well. They did pretty bloody well. So, effectively, Portland have got DeAndre Ayton, Time Lord, Malcolm Brogdon, the Warriors' 2024 first-rounder, the Bucks' 29 first-rounder, the Celtics' 29 first-rounder, and pick swaps in 28 and 30 with Boston for Damian Lillard. That feels pretty good because there's a really good chance that they'll also move one of Aiton or Williams and they could be worth a bit too. So they could get some really good draft capital. So I'm not even convinced Portland are done. But to me, I'm I'm astonished that people are going, oh, Phoenix got benched. Phoenix didn't get shit. They got Grayson Allen, a guy who Milwaukee weren't even playing in the playoffs. Like this was a salary dump. I'm astonished. This is a, a former number one pick who averaged 18 and 10. It was a pretty key piece in a team that fell just short of a championship not so long ago. See, I tend to, I don't know, I agree with you in principle, but there's the one other thing I would say is I actually really rate Yusuf Nurkic as a centre for that team because you've got three guys who are going to score the ball in Booker, Beal, and Durant. And I think the problem with Aiton was he wanted to be the guy. He did, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he needed a change of scenery. We've been saying that for a while now. Because we know that Nurkic is one of these guys that doesn't need the ball. He's happy to do the dirty work. He's happy to set big screens, all of that sort of stuff. I think he's going to be a really, really good guy in a pick and roll as well. Because again, he's such a big dude. He sets really strong picks. I've seen a few examples in the preseason already where him rolling to the basket, he's a willing passer. You know, he's getting the ball in the middle of the paint and basically in that, not, not so much a triple threat, but he's at the point where he's either rising up to score or he's trying to find a guy in that dunker's position for a layup. The concern is his health and his defense though, right? Yeah, look, I mean, to an extent, he's missed a lot of games in the last four seasons. Yeah. But again, though, reasonable depth at center. I mean, you've got Drew Eubanks, who was a solid backup for the Spurs for a number of seasons. and You wouldn't want him starting for a championship push. No, not, not really. But, you know, he's decent. You've got Bol Bol there as well. You know, he's a guy who... Yeah, he's not really a center though. Yeah, but, I mean, you can use him there. You've got Chamizi Metu. He's been decent. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realise they had him. Yeah. So, well, he played for us too yeah, prior to that. Yeah. Guys there. I think he's probably the right sort of centre for that team. 
You need a guy who just doesn't demand the ball. Stephen Adams would have been another one. Who oh, I think there's a lot of teams that would love to. The Spurs yeah. would love to have a guy like Stephen Adams next to Wemby. You just one of these guys who will set screens. If he doesn't get the ball, he's not going to pout like Aiden did. And I think that's what they've got in Nurkic. So I actually think he's an underrated piece in that trade. I know that the image that stays in everyone's mind with Aiton was him under the basket, basically just giving up on defense against Jokic. Yep. That's that kind of image that is doing the rounds on social media and, and what, I don't know. I just think for a former number one pick who, like I said, basically averaged 18 and 10 one not so long ago and was a pretty key piece and played well in that series against Milwaukee value prior to that and all that cool stuff. Of course, I don't know. I just think they might've got more for him. That's all. Fair enough. But yeah. look, I mean, Aiton, obviously, we know he wants big money. He wants to be the guy. I think Portland's actually a really good destination for oh, him. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. But I, I think, again, just going back to Phoenix for a second, the one really good thing about having Nurkic is if you go back to those sort of first few months in the league, Nurkic was drafted on the same draft as Jokic. They had to choose between them, yeah. And so, again, if I'm him... And I'm coming up against Jokic. I've got a chip on the shoulder. Chip my shoulder. Be like, you chose him over me. Comfortably a better player, but I'm going to put in way more effort every single time I play him. So obviously, you've mentioned Portland. You think Portland did incredibly well? Yeah, I I do. And I I completely agree with you. Run me through what you think this gives them. Well, I'm I'm a massive fan of Scoot, and I think he's definitely a player you can build around. And as I've mentioned before, that documentary on Prime where I got to see a little bit more behind the curtain has really sold me on him. And so I think Aiton is a really good piece to pair with him. They've got a really good young athletic team. I think they'll run lots. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Aiton needed that change of scenery, but Time Lord's a really handy piece too. But I, I suspect that they'll trade one of those two to a contender. They might wait till the deadline. Who so I think you, they can get more picks out of it. Who, who would you trade? Oh, I think it depends on it depends on the deals. I think if you're Portland, you probably will listen to offers on both of them and you'll take whatever better deal you get, potentially. Obviously, Aiton's managed to stay on the court a little bit better than Williams. Because I know, I know when this first trade happened before the on-trade of Drew, you were concerned about Boston giving him away a little bit. But I think that his injury history and such, and obviously Brogdon wasn't happy, so, so Boston... Like I said with Robbie, the, the crux of it for Boston is can Porzingis stay healthy? That's it. And can he defend bigs that he needs to be able to defend? I'm concerned about that. I'm just, yeah, the first part. Health, yeah, yeah. That's you're relying pretty much entirely on Porzingis playing 70-plus games, which ooh, wouldn't really like to be putting a championship on that. No. Well, you'll take 50 from him if he's healthy for the playoffs, for example. Oh, but yeah, you want him playing at the pointy end. Yeah, potentially. Or so you need him playing at the pointy end. Because basically, yeah, you get rid of Time Lord, it's pretty much Porzingis who could play 20 games, he could play 70, you don't know. Or Al Horford, who we know is very, very much past the The new time. Udonis Haslam, yeah. yeah so the like, oldest man in the league. Yeah, that's what worried me about Boston. Anyway, we'll get to Boston in a second. Yes, we will, because of course there was Drew. The reason I really like this for Portland is the, the picks. The Bucks in 2029, Giannis may not be there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I wouldn't, th- he probably still won't be there. You look at obviously the rest of the guys. I mean, Lillard will be retired, Chris Middleton will be gone, the Lopez boys will be gone. So there's every possibility that first round it could be quite juicy and unprotected helps a lot. Just remember, kids always use protection. The, the Celtics, 
that one maybe not quite as good because you'll still have Tatum and Brown at that stage. Uh, so, you'd but like... it's still six years away, so yeah, it true. could be anything. True. Yeah, That's yeah, I agree. True. I agree with what you're saying, but yeah, it's it's very true. I mean, it could be anything. I put it this way. I like the the look of that Bucks first rounder a lot more than the Celtics one, but yeah, I I do, I do agree with you. But I do like those. And look, Malcolm Brogdon as it feels weird calling him a veteran, but well, he is. Yeah, he's but, been around a while. He is. Yeah, yeah. Him as a veteran backup for Scoot Henderson, I think he's going to do a great job of showing Scoot how to be a professional and how to, I guess, how to win. You know, giving those guys the right mindset. He'll have opportunity to get minutes too. Yeah. They've got some other sneaky guys here. Jeremy Grant's not exactly young anymore. You know, he's sort of getting to that late 20s, which, again, gives him that that sort of title as one of the veterans. But, yeah, they've got a lot of... Oh, good, he's definitely a veteran, yes. Great pieces, you know. I love Anthony Simons. I love Shaden Sharp. It's the athleticism that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I like Matisse Thibel. So there's enough guys there. I think... I'm not saying Portland are going to make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be a really fun team. Some of the veterans surprise me a little bit, actually. Like, Joe Wraith, I'm really happy to see him in the NBA. I don't know if Portland... Portland feels like a funny team for him. He's I don't know, given his age. It's interestingly enough, not on their depth chart either. Oh, have they got rid of him? They've got Jabari Parker as their fifth... Oh, it's the ESPN depth chart. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, no, they're, they're a fun team. They're a fun team. All right, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. So I guess you've got to look in terms of... Giannis was fair enough too, thinking of bolting if they couldn't put a decent team around him. And I actually think that he should have been looking at the Thunder and Spurs, actually. And I think he should he still should be looking at the Thunder and Spurs because we have such good young cores that'll be ready to win in a year or two. Mm. So if he does decide to walk away from Milwaukee in a in a couple of years after a brief extension, maybe I think he'd be crazy not to look at those teams. But anyway. I mean what yeah, but what would the Spurs have to give up to get him? He would go in free agency. Oh right, you mean as a okay. yeah, because they got max money on the yeah, books. Yeah, okay. You know, okay. like why wouldn't you want to go and pair with Wemby and or pair with with Shea and Giddy and and all those guys? Yeah, no, you know? I get you. Sorry, I thought for you those teams. I thought you meant so. So much. this is one. This is one I've been meaning to kind of, I guess, broach with you for a while now, and and I guess this trade does change that a little bit. But what else was out there? So James Harden, Embiid, maybe, but conference foe, obviously same team as Harden, but Harden's damaged goods. Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. Who else was really out there? So I think they probably got the best player that was on the block. Yep. So I, I don't really think that Milwaukee could have done much better. No. And I think that pick and roll will just be deadly. Absolutely deadly with him and Giannis. This is one of these trades, These one of these rare trades where you look at all the teams involved and you think they... Like, I know you don't... Oh, yeah, Phoenix. I disagree. I don't I mean, think Phoenix got I mean, enough. This high on Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, I think the proof will be in the pudding. Oh, of course. I think all three teams will actually feel quite happy with what they've done. I mean, look, Phoenix will say, we got rid of a guy who didn't want to be there, and we got a guy who wants to be here. And he's probably going to cost us less money as well. Well, you definitely cost less money. You can make definitely. whatever argument you want. But look, I think Milwaukee, yeah, it's obviously it's a swing for the fence. Giannis, Bobby Portis are both 28. Middleton's 22. Lopez is 35, or both of them are. It's it's win now. They, Absolutely. They yeah. probably realise that Holiday isn't a guy that can probably take them back there again. Lillard probably is. So, yeah, as you say, that pick and roll. Good calculated risk, yeah. You've got to, you've got to pick your poison. You know, if you go under on Lillard, he's going to make you pay. If you go over, Giannis gets a roll to the basket. We know how absolutely destructive he is. When, once he gets in that lane, he's dunking over anyone. Do you know the other thing I like about this? And I've been critical. It's one of the few things I've been critical about with Giannis before. 
he does fall in love with the three a little bit. Yep. And you hope that, that he'll happen. be shooting less with Lillard there. I so. want to see one at most every game. That's it. Did you hear that Darvin Ham wants AD shooting <sighs> six a game? God. Yeah. He also wants to be unemployed. Well, that's that's a terrible call. It's I'm a sorry. lot of threes. Yeah. yeah. The one thing I did want to say, though, about Dane that I thought was very funny, he did recently say that he'd, quote, rather lose every year than join the Warriors. But then he goes and joins the Bucks. Which I know not necessarily his choice, but I'm sure he wasn't saying, "Oh no, 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 I don't want to be traded to Milwaukee, a team that you know should be contending for the next few years." I don't know. I just that felt a little bit. He didn't get Miami, but geez, Milwaukee's a pretty good second best. It's better second. Yeah, maybe. It's better. Than well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think a core of him, Jimmy, and Bam would have been pretty bloody good. I'd still rather the core. But, but I mean, Giannis him, him, him is Chris, one of the best players in the league. Him, Middleton, and Giannis, yeah. I would take that. Yeah, I worry about Middleton's injuries, but yeah, yeah. I, I to me, to me, Middleton's more past it than Holiday. There's a lot of people talking about Holiday being past it. Yeah. To me, I'm more worried about Middleton than Holiday. To but, be honest, Middleton's game's almost entirely predicated on being a a, a, a jump shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And, and he'll get more. He'll probably get more of that. Sure, absolutely, so... he will. But again, it's the health. Of course. And and yeah, I mean, obviously you're not going to get the same deal for Middleton that you will for Holiday. So Holiday was the piece that always had to be traded. Yeah. The fact that they could keep Portis was really good. Oh, they huge. needed to keep him. Absolutely. Huge. So yeah, no, I love the move for Portland and Milwaukee. Phoenix, mm, we'll see. The jury's out. Time. Yeah. And then Boston, obviously. Yeah. We've oh, I like I like the Boston move getting Holiday. I think they don't have a pure point guard, but I think that and I, again, at risk of repeating what I said with Robbie on their show, I think that Derek White and Drew Holiday are both serviceable point guards. They've got Peyton Pritchard, who's just re-signed there too. I think they can do the point guard job fine there. I think they're better than Marcus Smart as point guards, both of them, actually. So I think defensively, they'll be really scary. And I like the look of Boston. It's Porzingis is, yeah, like I said, the one that's a bit... Hmm. Yeah. Oh, look, on paper... Boston would be one of the top two or three teams. Well, they're favourites again. Absolutely. And yeah. there's no, I've got no problems with that. And realistically, on paper, it should be Boston and Milwaukee in the conference finals, which would be very tantalising given the story. Yes. We will see. We will see. But, uh, Long way to go. I, I love it. I love the trade. It's about time it happened. Now we can move on to the, the real stuff and see what, yeah, see what the season has to bring. Well, the other good thing is all these players get a training camp with their new team. Yes. Whereas had they held on till the deadline or into December, maybe, for example, okay, you might've got a little bit more, but you don't have that training camp. So yeah, I, I think it was a good deal at a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So a few little news notes and quotes, I guess, to ah, uh, NBA, NBA action NBA action back in the day. We got our first look at Wemby versus Chet. Our two big boys faced off. Yes. In There was more than a... There was a head off, a head, there, there was, head butt face. Yeah, oh, look at you. <laughs> what am I saying? Wemby, the dirty bastard, with his <laughs> uh, yeah, head butt straight into, into Chet's. And Chet gets the foul called, of course. Yeah, that's just the way it is. But no, look, it was a, an exciting. What did you get to see? Any of the highlights? Oh, mate. Super excited. Super excited about Wemby. He looked magnificent. More so in the following game. Yeah, that up and under was very nice. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's the defense, though, that's tantalizing. Those Miami players were terrified. They did not want to shoot corner threes because of his length hmm. and the way he could just break up. Oh, it's exciting. Look, I think the thing that is going to be the big test for both of these guys is how they go playing 30, 32, 33 minutes a game 
versus what they're doing in the preseason where they may be playing 17, 18. Against weaker competition. Yeah, exactly. And this is it. When you throw both of those guys up against a Jokic, you know, even a DeAndre Ayton or a Nurkic. It's the bigger bodied guys that I'd worry about. Yeah, That's it. You know, guys that can knock them off the block a little bit more. That's when it would be interesting. Anthony Davis as well. Guys that are a little bit bigger shooting the ball a little bit higher up, you know, Davis's release is pretty high up as well. So how's he going to go against that? How's he going to go against Davis's mobility? Is Davis quick enough to get to the rim ahead of these guys and finish over them? It will be fascinating to see. This is definitely, in my opinion, the yeah, it's the rookie of the year race right there. My money's on Scoot. Really? Yeah, at the moment. Okay. I think I would have Chet ahead of Wemby. I'd have Wemby third. Okay. I mean, obviously, Chet had the benefit that Ben Simmons had, for example, of a entire season on the bench, seeing mm. how it all worked and being exposed, if not playing. Yeah, I think that, that helps a lot. Scoot is going to get a lot of time. He's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. I think Wemby will as well. I think we'll bring Wemby along a little bit. He will. You're right. He will. And he should. He's that good. And he's an amazing dribbler for his height. It's incredible. But I feel like the Spurs will bring him along a little bit slower. And I think that's intentional. On a few fronts, one, not throwing him in the fire too early, two, worrying about his body, and three, not wanting to be too good, to be honest. Because mm. we've got three first-rounders next year. Mm. So it would be nice to have at least one of those in the lottery, but probably two in the lottery. So Nathan, stop tanking. Well, you, but you guys, just, you guys have... Stop, just stop No, tanking. we're just three just, years no, behind you. No, stop Look at your roster. <laughs> we're just three years behind you. That's We're just slightly different timelines. It's a disgusting but how's, tanking, I, isn't it? I, I, love the, I love the pop quotes. I thought he was fine. No big game plan for him or anything like that. He just went out and played basketball, which he likes to do and he's good at. We're still figuring out where he can take most advantage of his abilities. I'm not sure he's even sure. But he's a smart guy, so he'll figure it out, even if I don't. They only ran one play for him. Mm. So that's that's promising. I think he's a small forward. I think he's got to play like KD, at least offensively. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. At the defensive end, obviously, he's so big, he's more of a center. But I think I think offensively, he's a small forward. You can put him anywhere. Which is crazy to he'll, think. He'll, he'll be successful no yeah. matter where he goes. Yeah, on. whereas I think Chet's more probably of a power forward, center of the stretch. Yeah. Dylan Brooks, not a great start with Houston. Not at all. Uh, did the old uh, squirrel grip. Well, no, wasn't it? A bit of a backhander to the bollocks, I think. Yeah, pretty poor form. Yeah, so less than five minutes into his first game with the Rockets, albeit preseason, quickest, he's been uh, thrown out. Quickest ejection with a new team in NBA history, I believe. Does not at all surprise me. Mm. Yeah, dirty bastard. Speaking of dirty bastards. Oh, yeah. Not really a dirty bastard, but just a guy who's kind of lost the plot a little bit. Oh. Ty Jones. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the whole Charlotte franchise, really, when you look at it. So Miles Bridges has just handed himself yeah. in for a, a breach of a protection order, I believe it was. A restraining order or restraining something. Order yeah, or some yeah, sort. yeah. Kai Jones has claimed himself to be the greatest player of all time, as well as, I think, Jesus or something like that. Like, a whole bunch of stuff like that. There's just... Uh, anyone who's a Charlotte fan, I respect you a thousand percent. Ridiculous. Yeah. I think Kai might be done with the NBA. <laughs> yeah, I, I think teams teams don't want to deal with crazy. No, it's a shame as well because he's a bloody good player, but not the GOAT, but he's, you know. No, he's, yeah, he's... he's uh, big enough and athletic enough that he can play, he can block shots, he can finish. Didn't it's he call just, himself Goatist or something in a tweet recently? Probably. Greatest of all timers. 
Anyway, yeah. we won't overthink that. And then Terence Ross basically asked if he was all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, and he made some response, and then he was like, clearly he's clearly not all right. Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. And they're not really NBA, but uh, really sad to see Mikey Williams was projected very, very high up in one of the upcoming drafts, and he's facing, I think it's 28 years for six felony gun charges, which is not good. No, <laughs> so, sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, to see somebody go from you know, probably setting his family up for life and getting to oh. do, getting to do something that he enjoys for the next 15 years to all of a sudden, you know, he's going to have to be fighting his way through, you know, up to 20 years in jail and then coming out and trying to figure it all out when he's past his use-by date. So, it's... Uh, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's sad. Not good. It's very sad. Mm. Just so we don't end on a bad note, Shui, it's definitely pre-season. Jalen Brown was playing with his shorts backwards the other day. <laughs> Which I don't know, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. Shorts the you, wrong. You know when they're on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. You, you, do you ever do like you often do that where you like you wake up half asleep and you put your undies on or something and they'll be back to front and you're like this? No, this, no, it's this is wrong. It's definitely wrong. Anyway, oh, but, you, but you know, you know before you go and yeah, yeah, I you should be go, walking on the court before you go and put your your, pants, not, your, your like your your trousers yeah. over the top of that. You'd be like, no, nah, it's not a playoff game. You can you can wait another minute to get on the court. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's yeah, it's a weird one. All right, sure. You know what that music means? Final thoughts time. Gee whiz. Gee whiz. Back Gee to some normalcy. Yeah, a little bit. A little Back bit. Back home and yeah. I like the word normalcy, by the way. Just going to throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, look, lots of great stuff going on. Obviously, shitty times in the NBL for us being more. <laughs> yes. And obviously in the, uh, the Cricket World Cup not going so well either. But no. there's still a lot of great sport going on. We're obviously excited to cover all of it as best we can. And we'll continue to do so. And lots of basketball coming up in the next few months. Well, probably next six months, really. Yeah, pretty much. The NBA season, I'm looking forward. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex. Bye.